Good evening. You know, we've talked about it before. Many times people will get ambitious and decide that they're going to read through the Bible in a year. And so they start in Genesis and they work their way through and everything's going well until they get to like Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Numbers. And then all of a sudden their enthusiasm comes to a screeching halt because there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of stuff there and it's difficult to wade through sometimes. And so sometimes even the most ambitious person says, yeah, I think I'll pick up something else. Sometimes people decide that they're going to read through the Bible in a year, but they start with the shorter books because it feels better to say, I knocked out all the real short books, feel good about myself, right? Well, tonight, we're going to go through an entire book of the Bible in one setting. And you're saying, please don't let it be Isaiah. Please don't let it be Psalm 119. No, actually, we're going to look at Philemon. And it's a book that is often passed over, kind of like Song of Solomon. Many people even question its validity as to why it's in the Bible. But if the Bible is a story of redemption, and it is, we've talked about this for the last year as we try to be better Bible students, you read the Bible with that common thread all the way through. It is a story of redemption. And because it's a story of redemption, you find that theme in just about every book of the Bible, don't you? And you see it right here, clear as day in Philemon. I mean, this is a story of redemption within the story of redemption. So let's look at it together. Philemon, only chapter, only verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love before the hearts of the saints and have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful to both you and me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart whom I wished to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging. For I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Three names to remember. You've got Paul. I think we all know Paul. He wrote the letter, also wrote much of the New Testament. You have Philemon, who is a Christian. He's also a slave owner who lives in Colossae. He was a friend of Paul, and he was also one who held church in his house, which means he was respected by the people in the community. And then you have this man, Onesimus, who was the slave to Philemon. He is a runaway slave, and apparently he stole some stuff before he ran away. And he ends up in Rome, where he encounters Paul and also encounters Jesus and obeys the gospel. So that's kind of the setting here. You have one O and three P's, right? Actually, you could replace the O, Onesimus, with another P. We could call him the perpetrator. And then you have Paul, and then you have Philemon. Those are the three main characters, and the plot is very simple. Onesimus has run away. He's gone AWOL, and he ends up in Rome where, as I said, he encounters Paul. He obeys the gospel, and now Onesimus feels that he needs to go back and make things right with Philemon. And Paul is encouraging Philemon to do the right thing. He's a friend to Paul, and Paul is encouraging him through their friendship to do the right thing. Now, there's three key statements here. First one, verse 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. So Paul is saying, I could pull rank if I wanted to. But you don't need to do this out of duty or obligation. You need to do this because it's the right thing to do. You see, Onesimus had obeyed the gospel. And you've heard me say this more times than you could count, but you're never through obeying the gospel. And Philemon here needed to obey the gospel. He already had in that he had been baptized, but you continually obey the gospel. And here's an opportunity to do so by forgiving Onesimus and bringing him back into your household. Second statement. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. Now this is a key statement because it shows that things have changed. So Onesimus left a slave, and he's going to return a slave, but a different kind of slave, right? A slave to Christ. He serves a new master now. This is a story of transformation. Onesimus once was useless, if you will, useless because he went AWOL, but now he is useful, not just to, not just to Philemon, but, but to Christ, right? Now he is a servant because Onesimus shares the same faith that Paul and Philemon share. The gospel is a great equalizer. And now Onesimus is on the same playing field, if you will, as Philemon and Paul. In verse 17, Paul writes, accept him as you would me. What does that mean? Well, back in the culture of this time, if Paul had visited Philemon, Philemon would have done some, some menial tasks, maybe washed Paul's feet, would have served him a feast, a nice meal, would have gave him a place to stay. 
And so Paul is saying and encouraging Philemon to do the same when Onesimus returns. Paul expected Philemon to do this same thing for this runaway slave. You see, Onesimus was coming home a different person. He was coming home a saved individual, a servant of Jesus Christ, a former master and a former slave would now mutually submit to one another and mutually serve one another. You see how this gets a little tricky. Third key verse, verses 18 and 19. But he, if he was wronged, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Paul says, put it on my tab. I mean, if this is about money and that's all it's about, then I'll take care of that. Because you could see how Philemon was probably saying, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but he still deserves to pay me restitution. And Paul is saying, if that's all this is about, if that's what's getting in the way of you acting Christ-like in this situation, then put it on my tab. Charge it to me. I'll take care of it. Because the important thing is to do the right thing. Philemon felt indebted to Paul. And we see that here. It seems that, that Paul is saying in a roundabout way, you know, you owe me here. You know, we could, we could go down that road if you want to, but do the right thing because you understand what it means to be a beneficiary of the gospel. Act in a Christ-like manner. Rather than shunning, accept. You know, there are times when doing the right thing doesn't feel right. Do you know it? It always kind of makes me chuckle when somebody says, I know I did the right thing because it, it, it feels good. And I'm like, I don't always feel good about doing the right thing. I don't know about you, but doing the right thing doesn't always make me feel good. I do it because I know it's the right thing, but by nature, I think most of us are, are, are all alike in that our knee-jerk reaction when we've been wronged is to seek re revenge, vengeance, to make the other person at least suffer for a little while before we forgive them. Paul is making an appeal to his friend to move past this episode. So he took some things from you. So he ran away. He now wants to come back and make things right. And Paul is saying, accept him. Put yourself in Philemon's sandals for a moment. Imagine how you would react knowing that this slave took something from you and skipped town. I don't think your knee-jerk reaction would be to just completely get over it and move forward. But that's what Paul's encouraging his friend to do. But put yourself in Paul's position. I mean, Paul risked his friendship a little bit, didn't he? I mean, here comes Onesimus, the slave that ran away from his friend's household, and Paul does what any Christian should do. Nothing extraordinary. He does what any Christian should do. He preaches the gospel to him. Because no matter who the person is, no matter what state they're in, that's what we should be doing. And so Paul does that, knowing full well that maybe Philemon would rather him take him to task and, and you know, scold him for what he did. Paul is saying, I've had an encounter with Onesimus. I've told him what he needs to do. He's more than encountering me, he's encountered Jesus. And he is a saved individual now. And he's going to return home. And I sure hope that he receives a Christian's welcome. I don't think forgiveness is a natural response for most of us. 
Again, I think vengeance is usually what we default to. We tend to hold grudges. We don't really get over hurts that easily. And so if we put ourselves in Paul's position, we understand, yeah, Paul, that's the right thing to do. I mean, obviously, your advice to Philemon is correct, but you put yourself in Philemon's shoes and you say, yeah, but I can see how he was upset. I can see how he would, he would be thinking that Onesimus owes me something, right? You could see all this. Unfortunately, there are many people in our world, even many Christians in the church that are sitting on bumblebees. They're sitting on a bumblebee and it's stinging them over and over again, but they figure I'm just going to sit on it because I'm probably doing as much damage to it as it's doing to me. And so we harbor this anger and this bitterness. We get stung, but we also sting others. Rather than being forgiving, we tend to harbor this anger and this malice. And here's something that is always true. It holds true 100% of the time. Hurt people hurt people. And so it's paramount for us as Christians to move past the anger and the malice, to not hold a grudge, but to forgive even if that person isn't seeking restitution, we have to let it go in our hearts or it's going to eat us alive, right? The Hebrew writer stated this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the Hebrew writer is telling the Christians who are, who are reading this letter for the first time, listening to it read for the first time, he's telling them, you've got to lose weight. You need to lose some weight. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so entangles you. Get rid of those unwanted pounds. Drop the burdens that hinder you from being spiritually fit. Lose the weight. Because there are many spiritually obese Christians. And what is weighing them down is bitterness, anger, malice, resentment, unwanted pounds that they need to shed if they're going to be spiritually fit. Many have fooled themselves into believing that by withholding forgiveness and harboring bitterness, they are justified. Because the wrong was done to me and I'm completely innocent and I'm the victim, I have every right to be angry and bitter. It's kind of like the guy that goes to McDonald's and gets two quarter pounders and a large fry, but offsets it with a Diet Coke. I balanced it all out because I had the Diet Coke. And many Christians justify themselves in carrying around this extra weight because they hurt me. But God, they hurt me. You know, he, he left me for another woman. But God, they spread rumors about me. But God, they said things about me that were not true, knowing that they were not true. But God, but God, and we say it over and over again, and I, I picture God saying, I know. Did you see what they did to my son? They spit on him, they mocked him, they put a crown of thorns on his head, they beat him half to death, they nailed him to a cross. And what did my son say while he was writhing in pain? In his last breath, what did he say? Father, forgive him. 
There's an example. Remember these passages? For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. You know, there's some things in the Bible that are kind of hard to discern. Not that. That's pretty self-explanatory. You forgive and you'll be forgiven. You forgive because you have been forgiven. If you don't, we'll be forgiven. That's scary, isn't it? This is not something that is a suggestion. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, it'd probably be a good idea if you forgive. It makes it very clear here. God doesn't ask us how we feel about it. He didn't put it up for a vote. In fact, you know, when we talk about doing the right thing, and as I said, it doesn't always feel good, but... What I have discovered is that for most of us, our problem with forgiveness is the starting point. Because you know where we often start when it comes to forgiving? We start with the hurt, don't we? That's where we start. Where should we start? With the heart. That's where we should start, but we start with the hurt. And when we start with the hurt, we try that person in the jury of our minds over and over again. And you know what we always come up with? Guilty. They're always guilty. We can always make that person out to be guilty and deserving of the death penalty. When the truth of the matter is we're focused on the hurt, which is very hard not to do, but at some point we've got to focus on the heart, and that's really the best place to start. Start with the heart, not the hurt. Because you may not want to hear this, but it's absolutely true, and you cannot argue it. The truth of the matter is, God loves the people that hurt you. And God wants those people in heaven every bit as much as he wants you there. And that's hard for us to swallow. It's hard for us to deal with. Because we just assume, kind of like the Pharisees, that God must hate the people that we hate. And that's simply not true. Remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12. He said, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The message here is vengeance is not your problem. That is not your business. You're not in the vengeance business. And this is not the only passage we could turn to. You know, next year, we are going to spend all of Sunday morning on a series called Jesus Is. And every Sunday morning next year, we're going to learn about Jesus more and draw closer to Jesus by looking at the different attributes and characteristics of Jesus. And one of those is meekness. And I was working on that lesson the other day, and I was looking at meekness and trying to you know, you hear all these things about meekness. You know, it's like a, a wild stallion that's been tamed. And, you know, what you hear most often is meekness is not what? Weakness, right? That's how we, we define it. You know what meekness is? Meekness is letting God work. 
That's what meekness is. Meekness is not taking it into your own hands. Meekness is saying, vengeance belongs to God. That's his area. I've got to be patient and endure and let him do his work. That's meekness. Don't want to give away too much of that sermon. But when it comes to revenge, vengeance, all those kind of things, those are in God's realm. You know what our business is? Love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. Why? Because the world needs that more than ever. The world is full of individuals who don't know the truth, who don't know Christ. They'll be dealt with in the end if they turn away. But our role, our responsibility is to shine the light. Forgiveness is about me giving up my so-called rights. And throughout the New Testament, we are confronted with the concept of dying to ourselves for the sake of Christ. Remember Paul's words in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What does it mean to get to the point to where it is no longer about me, that I have crucified myself and it is Christ who lives, I no longer am at the center of my own universe. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. I'm completely and fully surrendered to Him. What does that look like? Well, it's got to start with forgiveness, doesn't it? I've been forgiven, therefore I forgive. And I give up my feelings and my rights about what I think should happen here or taking matters into my own hands. Because here's the thing too, no matter what happens to you in your life, you are still the greater debtor. You always are. Somebody died for you. That should mean something going forward. And that should motivate us. That should encourage us. It should also strike us and arrest us to say, you know what? If Christ, if God can forgive me for the astronomical debt I owe him, certainly I can forgive the paltry debt that's owed me. To truly forgive, we have to die to vengeance and revenge and our feelings of justice and fairness because vengeance is not our business. Now, it may seem like we got off on a tangent there, but all this relates to Philemon and to Paul's narrative here. As I said a moment ago, Onesimus responded to the gospel and everything changed. Now, Paul is encouraging Philemon to respond to the gospel as well. Not that he hadn't before because he is a Christian, but you never stop obeying the gospel. And Paul is encouraging Philemon, hey, remember your baptism. That's a theme that we see throughout Paul's writing. Remember that you obeyed the gospel. And what does that mean? That means that you forgive. That means you look past those feelings of vengeance and revenge. Like Onesimus. Philemon was a cleansed sinner who had benefited from the forgiveness and mercy of the same Heavenly Father. And that has to mean something. All of us were God's Onesimus. Slaves to sin, who ran further and further away from God. At some point, if you're a Christian, at some point you encountered Jesus, you encountered the gospel, you obeyed the gospel. Jesus said, put that on my tab, charge it to my account, because as you know, somebody has to die. It's either going to be you or Jesus, but somebody's got to die. And so when you obeyed the gospel, Jesus 
paid the tab, and now we serve Him. And one of the ways we serve Him is by how we treat others. How we treat others who don't deserve our best. Do you guys remember party lines? I'm not talking about political parties. I'm talking about phones. Was that a West Texas thing, or is that just an Arkansas thing? I didn't have to climb up the telephone pole like Green Acres, but if you... You guys need to watch Green Acres, by the way. If you know anything about party lines, you'd pick up a telephone and you'd go to make a call, and there was no dial tone or anything. There'd just be two people talking. And you'd either hang up or you'd say, hey, you know, how long are you going to be on there? I need to talk to somebody. Oh, we'll be just for you. I'll tell them you called or I'll let you know when we're off. I dated a girl one time from Marmaduke, Arkansas, and I'm sure everybody knows where Marmaduke, Arkansas is. About 15 miles from my hometown, and she was on a party line. And so I would call, and I'd pick up, and two people would be talking, and I'd say, is one of these Stacy? No, no, uh, but we'll tell her you called. I get the feeling that's what's going on here in, some, in, in, in a certain degree. We are getting to, to listen in on a party line. By reading this story of Philemon, we, we're getting to read somebody else's mail. We're getting to listen in on the party line and see a conversation between Paul and Philemon about a guy named Onesimus. And that's really cool when you think about it, that we get to listen in or read in on what's happening. And what we see happening here is that Paul helped a runaway slave and a thief find transformation, and now the transformed Paul is writing to the transformed Philemon to encourage him to accept the transformed Onesimus. That's it, right? In a nutshell, that's the story. That's what we're hearing on the other line. The gospel changes lives because it changes people, and thus it changes relationships. And Paul is reminding his friend Philemon of that fact. You're better than this. Know that because you've been changed by the gospel. He's reminding us of that fact as well, which is why we need to pay attention. We're not in the vengeance business. It's not our role. We are slaves to Christ that have been transformed. And so it's our responsibility to forgive, to show love and grace and mercy. We are a people that give others a front row seat to the mercy and grace of God. Now that's a great responsibility, but it's also a great opportunity. Let's never, never squelch that opportunity. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and, and, and you are not a beneficiary of the forgiveness of your sins in that you have not put on Christ and you're ready to do that and you'd like to talk with one of the elders or one of the staff members, we'd love to do that. Maybe you're ready to study the Bible, maybe you need the prayers and support of this church family. You know, something that we say every week here at Oldham Lane, virtually every week, is there is absolutely no good reason for you to leave here without being right with God. Some of you are going to go play kickball after this against the young people, and you're going to pull and strain something, and you're going to be thinking that you're dying. Are you right with God? You know, make sure before you leave here that you're right with God. No, in all seriousness, there's no reason to leave here tonight without being right with God. So if we can help you with that, David's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?